Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hello everyone and welcome to Bouncing Back, the Personal Resilience Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I am your host, Joanna. Let's get started. Hi guys and welcome back to Bouncing Back. I am your host Joanna and I am super excited for today's episode because we're going to be taking a deep dive into unpacking something pretty deep but also a really important topic which is emotional abuse. But more specifically we will be trying to navigate the complexities of emotional blindness in relationships. I know it might sound confusing and heavy but we are in safe hands as I'm joined by Holly Jade to help us understand today's topic. Holly is a counselor and holistic healing practitioner promoting mental, emotional, physical and spiritual well-being. Hi Holly, how are you today? Good, thanks Joanna. It's so great to be on the podcast today, thank you. That's okay, it's amazing to have you here with us. Um, Would you like to introduce yourself with a bit more about who you are and what it is you do? Sure, yeah. So I guess um, I've been in the healing industry, I guess, since about 2008 and um, different you know parts of my life journey I guess took me to this point so started as a social worker moved into counseling and holistic healing modalities like yoga and meditation and some different things so I take I guess a holistic and a spiritual approach to my practice too but always work where the clients are and I guess I I tend to specialize more in emotions and trauma healing which is why I'm super apt to be on the podcast to talk about this topic today. Yeah, amazing. I can already feel myself about to go on a tangent with this. And I mentioned this before to you, but like, I feel like we're going to really unearth something great because things like this need more conversation around them, which I'm sure you can agree with as well. Definitely agree with you. Amazing. So I'd love to start off with um, understanding what emotional healing is. Um, Would you be able to tell us a bit more about that? Mm -hmm. Wow, it's pretty pretty broad because I guess you know our emotions are at the crux of everything and understanding our emotions really help us understand who we are and a lot of our emotions always also illusions as well so we can cling to emotions we can sometimes feel that they're our identity as well so it's really important to be able to observe them but also understand them and it helps us deep more deeply understand ourselves and then once we do that I guess we have less projections and, um, you know, we, we it's always about looking back towards ourselves to understand. But emotional healing is massive because I guess whatever we go through in life brings up emotion too. You know, we're human, we have feelings. So understanding those feelings and knowing how to navigate them as best as we can is always a great thing. Helpful, yeah. Yeah, amazing. I think that'll set up today's episode really well. But I'd first love to start with just getting to know you a bit more. Is there like a book or a movie that, you know, you could tell people about that you're interested in or you've been watching or reading? Oh, look, I change, chop and change a lot. Um, I guess, you know, like most humans, we have different elements to us. Um, But, you know, I'm kind of into spiritual sacred texts at the moment, which might not be too deep for today. But I thought, I brought this one along, if you can see it, but The Secret Language of Your Body by Inner Seagal. Um, It's a really great one in terms of understanding emotions and connecting to the body and understanding, you know, mind-body connection. So I think that's always a great one that I often refer to and often refer clients to if they want to start to do some more self-inquiry. So, yeah. That's beautiful. I find, like, self-help books are also really great. I don't read enough of them, but I think that's a really good one to put out there. And are you a podcast person at all? I actually know that you might be a bit of a podcast pro because you've got your own. So would you like to tell us a bit about that? Sure. I'm sure I'm a pro, but um, look, I set up up my podcast, Holistic Healing Space, I think about a year ago now. Um, And I haven't honestly put a a lot of energy into it the last couple of months. I've just been preoccupied with other things. But um, 
I think podcasts are just a great platform to, you know, share knowledge and people seem to love to listen to them. You can listen to them anywhere. There's some great podcasts out there, yours included, of course. <laughs> um, so, you know, um, I think it's it's great to connect with people this way as well. So, yeah. Yeah, awesome. Is there something that you're listening to right now at all? Oh, I chop and change a lot. Um, no, I mean, I guess for me, if anything, I come across anything about emotions and trauma healing, I guess that's kind of what I gravitate towards or um, psychosocial stuff. But yeah, I think, yeah, Gabor Mate is still on my radar a lot at the moment in terms of trauma. And the holistic psychologist, if she has interviews, I like to listen to her too. I feel like I resonate with her work a lot as well. Yeah, amazing. And my next one for you is if you've got a famous role model or someone that you look up to in your life, maybe. Ooh, that's a really new. Yeah, when I saw that question, I was like, oh, that's a tough one because um, I feel like that changes a lot too. At the moment, I'm going back to all really ancient stuff and I've been looking a lot into um, Imam Ali. I don't know if you've heard of him, but I think he died in like 600 BC. So not many people probably oh, talk about him, but, yeah. you know, it's um, what I find is um, a lot of his quotes and his ideologies we have used throughout our history and today. And, you know, so far back, if we go back in time, a lot of that wisdom's there. So I'd, I find him really fascinating at the moment. And that was a long time ago. So, yeah. Yeah, awesome. I personally haven't heard about him before, but ancient history and people who lived in those times is something that I'm into. So I definitely will have a look at that one. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah, awesome. Um, I would also love to ask you about if there's like a course you've completed that, you know, is interesting or something you held on to. Oh, look, I, I've, I've completed so many and I feel like each course almost led to the next course. And I think kind of that's my life journey in a way. One thing leads to the next. Um, and I think my foundation was always, you know, becoming a social worker back in, I think, 2005, so a long time ago. But from mm. there, um, I wanted to go deeper into different aspects and avenues. So I feel like all the courses I've completed have been amazing and have given me something. Um, I don't know what's next, but right now it's almost as if I'm just wanting to bring all of those courses together and, of course, you know, integrate them into life and, and help people. So no no study at the moment, more my own, um, I guess, self-study and, and, and more kind of sacred spiritual texts, which I feel like go well with, with my approach as well anyway. So, yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Really reinforcing what you do as a career as well. So that's amazing. Awesome. So let's jump straight into our interview questions for today. My first one for you is, why is resilience important in our life? Well, I think we can all agree that we can't escape, uh, you know, problems in life. I think that we're always going to get thrown things and most of us have experienced trauma or abuse or emotional breakdown or accidents or illness. Um, there's so many things that life throws at us. So and I, I believe that we can build our resilience through these experiences if we choose to. So, you know, it's it's so important for us to to have that resilience and know that we can build on it through our life experiences. Yeah, for sure. And do you think that being resilient means being immune to stresses and adversity in our life? I think we can we can definitely develop more of an immunity but we're human you know we we feel pain and we get hurt and I think that that's just part of being human and I think it's important for us to know that you know our emotions are going to arise to pass away so we might not have an immunity as such but we'll develop better tools and understanding of how to deal with with issues that arise in our life so it can be something that that we develop I, I believe but Look, some people who, you know, spiritual masters may, 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 you know, look at that differently. But, and I think, you know, life is, a lot of us, if we choose to look at it that way, there's always a lesson or a message or a learning or a purpose to what we go through, which helps us to build that resilience. Yeah, awesome. And I think I love what you said about like emotion, emotions arise to die in our life. Is that right? Yeah. Could you talk a bit more about that? I think that's a really interesting way of putting it. Yeah, and I think a lot of us unconsciously, I know I used to, you know, cling to emotions and, um, you know, we can get so attached to them and 
what really, you know, when they arise, they really just want to be recognized and acknowledged and then let go of, you know, and, and that's, you know, I guess we'll talk about through the podcast about emotional suppression and how that affects us. Um, so, you know, I think sometimes a lot of us fear feeling our emotions. So it's really important that we realize that there's nothing to really fear. You know, we just need to acknowledge them and observe them and allow them to flow through us. And they can feel really real. Let's face it. They can feel like a real part of our identity or like a skin, but we need to know that we can, we can shed that skin and keep kind of moving forward. Yeah. Amazing. And how would you define emotional blindness then? Well, I think in a nutshell, it's really about not knowing how you feel, but it's also, um, it's also kind of not being able to interpret or recognize or identify your emotions and also identify somebody else's. And there's levels to that as well. I mean, some people with emotional blindness, they might they, they can usually um, identify basic emotions, but they might struggle with more complex emotions. Mm. And like, why would you think that people struggle to identify emotions in themselves or even in others? That, look, there's, I mean, I guess the other thing with emotional blindness is, you know, there's a lot of talk about nature versus nurture as well. So on the nature side, I guess, of course, there could be neurological concerns, brain injury, you know, many autistic people can also have uh, an inability to express emotions or have emotional blindness to a level. Um, and also personality disorders and people with uh, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, they can often have similar things. But in terms of the nurture side, that's where we talk about tribal trauma, traumatic experiences, PTSD, because, you know, these PTSD, by the way, can actually cause um, issues with brain functioning. So there's, we have to be really careful when we talk about the nature versus nurture, because sometimes they can get quite blurry, if that makes sense. So I find it's really important to explore, you know, where the blindness does come from, because even, you know, some people who come to me might be labeled, you know, might have autism. And there can sometimes be a belief that, people with autism might not be able to access their emotions. Now that's not always true, you know? They're, so we have to really look at what's causing this emotional blindness. Is it nature or nurture? Is it actually a neurological disorder? Or is it an injury to the brain? Or is it trauma that we trap trauma or suppressed emotion that we've disassociated from? That if we learn to delve deeper, we can actually access that emotional capacity again. And I find that really fascinating. Yeah, amazing. And what do you think the role of our resilience is in coping with emotional blindness? Um, so, so when you're referring, when you're with somebody who has emotional blindness, is that what you're referring to? Um, yeah, it could be if you've like identified that you're not so good at identifying emotions, or yeah, even if you're with someone that has emotional blindness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's quite interesting on both sides, isn't it? Really. Yeah. Um, Look, I guess, you know, let's start with, I guess, I guess it follows on from what I was just saying. I think that if you, if you know somebody who seems to, you know, have some emotional blindness uh, ways of being or alexithymia, I guess is, is another word for it. Um, it's really important to, I guess, acknowledge that it's not, it's not your fault that they can't read your emotions or read their own because I think sometimes we can, confuse abuse with an inability or a, 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 their lack of capacity to actually read emotion. So I guess what I'm trying to say is sometimes if we project our emotions onto others because we're blind, if we're emotionally blind or we can't see that we're projecting, we can unconsciously or unintentionally hurt the other person and we can label that as emotional abuse or psychological abuse. But if it's an unconscious thing, is it really? So I think for the other person, being resilient, it helps to have that knowledge, to have that understanding that it's not really about you. If that Does that make sense? Yeah, no, for sure. I think having that awareness of, like you said, if someone is going through that or not, which is important as well. Um, but yeah. so what would the signs of emotional abuse be then? 
But if somebody's being abusive towards you, yeah, wow, look, that's a really deep one, actually. Um, yeah. It's usually, you know, it's usually more of, you know, abuse as such as more of an intentional, intentionally hurting somebody by gaslighting, emotional manipulation, um, coercion, uh, control, uh, humiliation. Oh, there's so many. What else have we got here? We've got, you know, um, backbiting, backstabbing, uh, putting people down, rejection, abandonment. So these are more purpose purposeful ways of abusing somebody where emotional blindness can be a bit different if the person is unaware of what they're doing um, and they want to make a change because there, there's there's reasons why we shut down our emotions most of the time unless it's a disorder a neurological disorder it's a different story but what what I find in my work is a lot of people who have emotional blindness actually have unresolved trauma Okay. Um, so can people then be emotionally abusive but unintentionally so they don't know they're actually causing emotional abuse upon someone else? A hundred percent. And often that's a pattern that has been almost passed down or mirrored or absorbed through their caregiver as well. So if they perhaps had a caregiver who was emotionally shut down themselves or um, unable to read emotions or didn't have the capacity, then that person hasn't had a great role model in terms of emotional regulation and emotional health. So they might tend to actually shut down and um, start to dismiss emotions and gaslight themselves, you know, suppress themselves and then unintentionally gaslight others or shut others down. So it's a lot about safety. You know, we, we want to feel safe to express our emotions. And if that person didn't feel safe growing up to express their emotions, perhaps they were punished for expressing their emotions or, um, you know, they just were invalidated, then it's going to be really hard for them to feel comfortable expressing themselves. And then sometimes a projection occurs. They they don't even realise that their pent-up emotions they're projecting onto other people until they're made aware of it. And even then, some people don't have the capacity to actually um, see that for what it is and, and work on it. Yeah, for sure. And I think this leads on into this idea of childhood trauma, perhaps. So do you think that dysfunctional parenting or caregiving could affect emotional blindness in people? I think it's massive. Yeah, I think it's yeah. really, really big. And, um, and you know, the beauty of that is that it can actually be resolved. It can actually be unpacked, but it, it depends on on that person's willingness to unpack it. I find that some clients... We're all different, right? I never like to put anything in a box, but um, yeah. some clients don't really, you know, they're protecting their parents or they they didn't, they don't recognize the dysfunction until we speak about it. And then sometimes they shut off and it, it's almost like they unconsciously know there's a lot to unpack. So we have to choose that. But I think it's the way that we look at it too, because to me, unpacking those things leads to so much, you know, deeper self-awareness and personal growth and we can really change those patterns. And when we understand why we are the way we are, I think that's a really amazing thing. Yeah, I think that's really awesome, like having that self-awareness. And it's so hard, though, to be able to recognise if you've been through, like, childhood trauma. Like, I think that would require a lot of self-reflection. And, yeah, it might even lead to, like, playing the blame game even, do you think? That is so true. And I think, um, I think that's normal. You know, I think, you know, in the beginning, that's an emotion that does come up. You know, we, we tend to blame and we feel like we're a victim and why did this happen to me and now I've got to deal with it. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a believer that there's a purpose and a reason behind all of the things that happen to us. Sometimes we don't want to hear it or we can't see it and we don't see it till 10 years later. But, you know, eventually we learn so much and, and it, it's a resilience building. You know, it's a way for us to, you know, be, become more resilient and and find compassion and forgiveness because often the person who hurt us was unconscious or in survival mode or didn't have the capacity to unpack their own emotions or that generation might have had their own trauma and 
you know, let's face it, it, the older generation didn't do as much self-work. I shouldn't say that, but they didn't have as much capacity. It was more of yeah. a survival time and um, let's sweep things under the carpet and, and keep going. And I think in, in this generation, I think we're, we're, we're looking a lot deeper and I think that's that's really amazing. Yeah, awesome. And how do you think that affects sort of adult relationships, you know, bringing that from your past into the present? Oh, crazy. I shouldn't say crazy, but it, in a big <laughs> way, you know, it's yeah. um, a lot of couples that come to me, I find it very interesting um, how our childhood experiences and the beliefs we've absorbed and the perceptions of our reality and our programming and our conditioning and then you get two people together and wow, there's going to be a lot of unpacking and, and, and you know, but, you know, relationships are, probably our greatest spiritual work of all time you know they bring up all of those things to dissolve and to dissect and we have to become more self-aware in a relationship otherwise we're going to really struggle so yeah for sure and time heals as well so as these things pop up like obviously you become more aware but you grow with them as well I suppose a hundred percent yeah yeah we we can heal anything We're, we're really resilient we can really heal anything but we I guess we need to choose to look at it that way and and find that strength. We're so much stronger than we realize. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But sometimes it's really hard to like convince someone or convince totally. yourself of that when you're like going through it. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I'd love to ask you about this idea or this phrase of love is blind. Do you think there's anything problematic about that? Yeah, look, I look at that two ways. I think that, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to to I think it's really important to be as self-aware as we can in relationship but when there's a really strong spark sometimes you know it's hard to to really you know to stay rational I guess um but it's also we've got to be kind to ourselves because we all have blind spots and I think that that's where that phrase is true because you know to a level relationships are a catalyst to unpacking our blind spots so love kind of is blind until the blindfolds are removed usually by our partner so but that's a positive experience because that helps us grow so you know it can be messy and but very transformative and a, a really deep awakening process and yeah so love is blind to a level but if we go with awareness of you know the fact that wow, something could really be unpacked in this connection and there's usually always something. Um, I think it, it's there's some truth there, but there's a bit of, you know, depends how you look at it, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So, Yeah, for sure. And I think a part of resilience is also developing this, you know, self-awareness and ability to self-reflect as well. So do you think it's important to have that before you, you know, enter into a relationship Um or anything like that? I mean, I think it's great. And I think we can, you know, we can only be as self-aware as we possibly can be, can be in any given moment. And I think we can always go deeper with that. And life's always going to take us deeper. But if we kind of have that intention or that understanding, um, that every life experience is kind of trying to teach us something or show us something, then I think it kind of just helps. Well, it it makes us see life in a different light. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And my next question's a bit deeper, but how do you think people with alexithemia, that I said that right? Yeah. I think so. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I hope so. I was looking at that word and I wasn't even sure if I was saying it right. But um, the inability to sort of identify and describe emotions, how would they experience or feel love? how they experience it i think um look you know that they have feelings they just struggle to express them and to read them so you know they they feel love of course but there's often a fear of vulnerability and that could you know go back to the childhood trauma of not feeling safe to express emotions therefore not having the capacity to to um to observe and to understand others' emotions because they haven't built that emotional capacity. So that's a struggle. So they tend to be, I guess, a bit more logical, um, 
a bit more impersonal and detached. So they might, um, you know, experience relationships or feel more comfortable in relationships that are more surface level where there's um, less, you know, less need for emotional connection, which, you know, is a little bit sad, you know, but that can change. But I also believe that often people who are emotionally shut off eventually attract people who emotionally really deep <laughs> and it's kind of their yeah. journey to actually wake up to that and go hey my work is right here you know this person has shown me where my sacred wound is I'd like to say and and this is my work here to heal it and um, that's where relationships are beautiful it's they, they help reveal that blind spot to that person and can help them work deeper to attract a deeper level of, or experience a deeper level of love. But, you know, that is their choice as well. We can't rescue or save anyone. They have to actually yeah. want to to do that work. Yeah, for sure. And can sort of this, you know, inability to identify emotions or be perceptive to them be confused as like a personality trait or is that just something more subconscious? Well, I think they do kind of talk about it as a personality trait. I I kind of see it a little bit differently. I mean, the clients I've worked with that have been diagnosed with, you know, emotional blindness or even autism, um, a lot of it, as I said, has been <laughs> the result of post-traumatic stress and childhood trauma. So it's it's I think it's working slowly with people and helping them to work at their capacity because I do also believe that if we kind of push people past their capacity too soon, it's too much of a gap. So it's it's you know working gently with where they're at, slowly starting to expand their capacity because if we tread gently with expanding our capacity, all of us, not just people with emotional blindness, we can we can really expand our awareness. But if we go too hard too fast, we can often shut down. So that's very much similar for somebody who's been through trauma or PTSD. We have to tread, tread gently because there's a lot there to unpack that possibly has never been unpacked. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And would it be harder if the person is unaware that they've got something that's sort of inhibiting them from being emotionally aware? So that pacing would be really hard to determine. Very much so. Um, and that can be difficult. Um, some people, you know, some people just don't want to change, whether that's a really deep fear that they have. You know, it's um, they've suppressed so much that they don't know how to let go. Um, they, you know... And, you know, that's where sometimes I do wonder with diagnosis, is there something more in the brain going on there? Is there some damage that has been caused because trauma can cause brain damage, you know? So it, it's it's a really fine line. And, you know, I have worked with people who do not have the capacity to see outside their patterns and their emotional blindness. It's like they're just walking blindly and it doesn't matter how many times life tries to slap them in the face or wake them up and try to show them that, hey, you know, um, they choose to walk the other way. So I find yeah. I find that an interesting one. And and it, it's what I find interesting too is sometimes we, we label it as narcissism. Um, you know, these people can tend to project their emotions more so on others and be abusive, but it's because of their limited capacity to see that they come across as narcissistic and be can be quite horrible to other people but it's it's so unconscious um and but it is quite narcissistic and they often label the other person or their partner as you know too emotional and too intense when really that other person is just more emotionally available but they don't have that capacity to be emotionally available so um it's it's really it can get really confusing and that's where I feel for couples I guess in those relationship dynamics because sometimes you do need to call it quits I, I hate to just be blunt but it can be really tough to be with somebody who doesn't want to change yeah for sure and when you've like worked with people have what have you noticed about like bringing two people who are like opposite ends of like that spectrum in lack of better words to use it's really interesting. Um, 
I love it when I see an awakening in that person who has been emotionally numb or blind or suppressed and they mm. something clicks, you know. It's like sometimes, you know, that's why I mentioned going, treading really lightly and slowly and just I always, I'm always hopeful that something will click, you know, something will click and something will switch and they'll start to realise, hey, um, if I look at this and I work on this, I can improve my relationships. I can improve my level of intimacy, emotional intimacy. I can improve my connections, my ability to relate to myself and others and expand my awareness. But it really, really depends on, sometimes it really, I feel, depends on where that person's at on their journey too. Sometimes they're just not ready at that point in time. Maybe yeah. it's not in that therapy session that they will wake up to that. Maybe it's five, ten years later or two weeks later. Yeah, for sure. And what do you think it normally takes for that something to click in them to make them want to improve their emotional like intimacy and their, you know, availability? I feel like it's usually, you know, a string of failed relationships or emotional breakdown. Um or sometimes it's emotional catharsis because we can't always suppress our emotions forever. They end up, we end up eventually purging somehow, whether that's, you know, sometimes people have these uncontrollable fits of emotion that come out of nowhere. And because they've suppressed them for so long, it can be really intense. Other times people, you know, it manifests as illness. People have, you know, get really physically unwell because emotions are energy. And if we don't unpack that energy, they manifest in our body as illness. So some people don't wake up. Some people, it just manifests in their body as illness. And and I find that's, that's quite sad. Yeah, I think that is, especially like you mentioned before, if there's been like, for instance, a string of, you know, failed relationships and they still don't realise that, I guess it is pretty sad if they can't come to that awakening. Yeah, for sure. And... Why do you think people suppress so much or, like you said, walk the other way? I think that a lot of us, I mean, let's be honest, we don't always like facing triggers. Nobody, I don't think, really likes facing triggers. But yeah. um, And I think if we're not used to, you know, walking towards those triggers, it can really feel uncomfortable because we're not used to the emotions that come up and... What we need to remember though is every trigger is there to be dissolved and every trigger there's a truth behind it that is there for us to unpack and it's like a it's like a jewel really that's how i try to describe to clients if we can walk into that trigger you know as best we can we can really transform a lot of stuff but if this person's never been taught to do that maybe they they were brought up in in you know family dynamic where people just shove their feelings under the carpet and played happy families or mask their emotions or were people pleasing and put on a front and these are all things that make us become emotionally numb if we're not being authentic and we're not being expressive and if we're not we're not welcomed for our emotional expression we're not validated then we'll just walk the other way and I think a lot of it is the ability to feel safe uh and to be vulnerable yeah for sure and what, what do you think is the best way for people to learn to overcome these things? Is it through experience or is it through like more self-awareness? I think, I mean, I think, I feel like life's always trying to show us, you know, I think mindfulness is so important and it's so simple, but so underrated. And um, I guess I'm a big advocate for that. If we can just, you know, have mindfulness practices, somatic practices, um, techniques where we, you know, you know, I can talk about that a bit more, but techniques where we connect to the body, body sensations, you know, trying to uh, unpack or invoke emotion, all these things will help us. But the crux of it is if we're mindful, life is always trying to bring us opportunities to help us heal. But we don't always, you know, the ego gets in the way. We, we don't always, we try to control. We think we know better. Um, you know, yeah. we all do it. We're all control freaks to a level. Well, I'm not sure we all are, but I think, you know, we tend to <laughs> like to be in control, you know. But um, yeah. I think if we just let go and allow, then that can feel uncomfortable. Yeah, for sure. So it's a lot about trusting that life has something in store for us that we aren't aware of that, or that we couldn't possibly fathom. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I'd love for you to like unpack those techniques you were talking about as well, if you'd like. Yeah. Um, I think so. I guess, yeah, mindfulness is a big one. Even, you know, someone who's emotionally blind, it's, it's important, I guess, to, uh, to start to study emotion and invoke emotion. And that could be just as simple as looking at an emotion wheel. Have you ever seen an emotion wheel? You might have looked at your primary school. I don't school. think I have. No. Yeah, most of us can't remember, but it's just a wheel. It's a pretty wheel with colours on it. And it it, it kind of um, outlines, I can't remember how many, there's uh, uh, over 100, 104, I think, emotions that we experience as humans. And it can oh, be wow. great to, yeah, it, can, it breaks down the range of emotions. And if we struggle to identify and interpret our emotions, it could be great to look at that wheel and even just, for example, look at shame and, and, and you know, try to feel into our body. What does it feel like when I feel shame? Well, anger is usually one that most of us can actually access or joy and start to look at that wheel and start to, you know, invoke that emotion and it can help us start to tune into our body. So that's that's a simple practice that we can look at. Um, I think meditation is amazing. I'm a massive advocate for that because um i guess body scanning is a great you know simple starting point to really start to connect with body sensations and if we're you know blind or numb that might be really new to us to even just feel you know feel again so relaxation techniques as well um just you know breathing is is such a, a powerful one too and it's so simple just looking at the quality of our breath. If it's if it's short and it's sharp and it's, you know, in our chest, it, it kind of, we can link that to our mind and we kind of, you know, we can know that, I know that, for example, if I'm, you know, breathing short and sharp and quickly, I'm in my mind too much. I'm thinking, I'm in my thoughts, I'm not in my body. <clears throat> so slowing the breath down and breathing deeply and slowly, it switches on our relaxation response, it calms the nervous system and we can, and when the nervous system it's when it's relaxed and when it feels safe, we can unpack our trauma. So it's important. Yeah. It's so important to slow down. So practices that, you know, Rubus moment to stillness and that can be scary if we've had trauma. Yeah, for sure. I love that whole like body and mind thing and how breathing helps a lot as well. I feel like it's so underrated. Some people will be like, take some deep breaths and you'll be like, that doesn't really work. <laughs> it's so true. And I remember years ago thinking the same thing. How's breathing going to help? And I remember doing my yoga training years ago and, you know, I'm learning breathing techniques and I was like, oh, how, this is so hard. How do I do this? And, you know, I look back <laughs> and I was like, oh, I can do it fine now. So it's like practice, you know, practice, practice, practice. But the the transformations that occurred in my nervous system and my consciousness through breath work and meditation, you know, I can't even describe. And I mean, you know, I'm sure people out there who've, who've done that agree. And I think it, with trauma and the nervous system, it's so important to to have these somatic practices. I mean, yoga is another great one because um, if we've had a lot of trauma and we can't sit still in meditation, do something that you know, that, that it's a mindful movement where you're still in your body and you're, you know, you're connected to the sensations in your breath. So yoga and movement, they're, you know, they're great. They're amazing tools as well to bring you back into union with yourself. Yeah, I love that so much, union with yourself. It's a really great way of putting it. Yeah. And if we were to run someone through deep breathing right now, um, how would you run them through that? Well, okay. Well, look, we'll start really simply. I think um, to begin with, just being, you know, checking in with your breath every now and then throughout the day, just noticing your breath to start with. Is it is it shallow? Is it deep? Is it fast? Is it slow? Is it all over the place? Um, and then, you know, try not to get anxious about that. It's okay. Sometimes people, you know, people get anxious about that. But then, you know, if it is, you know, in your chest and it's fast, you have the you have the ability to slow it down, to breathe deeply into your belly and trying to keep the inhalations and the exhalations the same length. So you might like to increase the length of the inhalations and the exhalations to five counts or six counts, keeping the in-breath and the out-breath even. And making sure that you're sending your breath all the way down into your belly and you're releasing all the air out. So a really nice, smooth, slow, steady breath. And if you do that for a few rounds, you will 
you will notice a difference. You will notice a shift. And yeah. it's that simple. That simple, you know, as a starting point. Yeah, I love that. Like you genuinely don't need anything else other than yourself to be able to do that. So that's so true. Really awesome. Yeah, beautiful. Well, linking all of this back to our relationships, how do you deal with, you know, a friend or a partner who is emotionally abusive, but they might not recognize it because of their emotional blindness? Yeah, look, that's really interesting. I think um, if they can't recognize it, I guess it, it's it's helping them recognize it. And that can be touchy because, you know, I think as we've said, not everybody's ready to face face things, face their shadows or face what's going on sometimes. So it's being really gentle and compassionate because, you know, most of us don't like somebody pointing out our blind spots. But, you know, mm. if we look at it in a more positive sense that it's actually, you know, helping us grow and it's constructive. So it's, you know, maybe alerting them to the fact that they struggle to be present, they uh, struggle to face triggers or um, or face conflict or, uh, you know, why can't they, why can't they be more emotionally expressive or why do they struggle perhaps with with your emotions, um, you know, and maybe introducing them to some somatic tools or therapy to help unpack, you know, maybe they do have some trauma that they haven't unpacked, um, you know, having some further investigation for their own well-being. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And what if people just like to deal with things, you know, on their own or in their own head? Well, that's true too. I mean, there's there's definitely, you know, like you were saying before, there's lots of, you know, self-development books and, um, you know, go to a yoga class and, and start to, you know, sit with yourself in there or do some self-inquiry, enroll in a mindfulness or meditation course, get a journal. A j- journaling's great if you like writing to help unpack or start to, you know, even if you don't know what to write to start with, just start to kind of um sometimes we just kind of need to trigger ourselves to move in a new direction and um i think you know a feelings check is is great too maybe you can just start with waking up every day and and naming three feelings like how am i feeling today am i feeling happy sad anxious nervous just starting the process of checking in with yourself these are all things that you can do yourself and I think the biggest one eventually is sitting in stillness. And I think from a space of stillness, we can learn to relax the nervous system. And when we relax the nervous system, the trauma surfaces anyway. That's when sometimes we might need some intervention if if we struggle with that. But then once we learn to sit with that stillness, so much else rises to the surface and it's a really transformative process. So there are plenty of things you can do on your own. If, yeah. if you choose to, art therapy, music therapy, they all invoke emotion too. There's so many things. Yeah. No, I love that. There are actually so many options out there and it's important for people to know that they're not like alone in whatever, you know, emotional struggle they're going through. So that's 100%. really important. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. And I know you mentioned before that if like people come together and then they realize that their emotional capacities are not compatible, it's best to just part ways. How can someone, you know, move on after experiencing emotional blindness or emotional abuse in a relationship? Well, gee, there's levels to that and it can be really tough, you know, depending, Mm -hmm. I guess, on the level of abuse. Um, You know, they say hurt people hurt people, right? So it's really about if you haven't been, you know, quite, or you feel you've been quite scarred by somebody who's unintentionally thrown their emotions at you or been abusive, it's really understanding that, you know, you didn't deserve that abuse and it was quite unconscious. And I guess, you know, helps you, helping you build up that resilience through knowledge that, you know, you can't save or rescue anyone. And that person unfortunately was projecting and and you have to look after yourself you know you do have to look after yourself in these situations um you know i guess in the beginning phase you you obviously often want to help your partner to see their blind spots and and hold space and and support them but they have to do that work we we can't unpack anybody else's inner work for them 
So, you know, they need to do that. And if, if, if they don't or if they don't want to or they don't have the capacity, you have to look after yourself. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And like you mentioned before, sometimes that is just about letting go. Yeah, and that can be tough. Yeah, for sure. And in terms of like moving on, do you think this idea of moving on is different to healing? Oh, different to healing. Oh, I think it's quite related actually, in a sense, because I think, you know, when we have that ability to move on, we are healing because we're healing, you know, we're able to detach and because, you know, we all form emotional attachments to people and it's important for us to know, I guess, when, when we need to detach for the right reasons. And I think that's quite healing and quite empowering. Yeah. And self-love to to a level yeah for sure I think this idea of self-love is so important and, and like so synonymous with talking about healing and moving on yeah for sure yeah and when it comes to like therapy for example as a technique as well how can that help you know an individual or a couple with emotional blindness I think for an individual, it's really helpful in terms of um, helping them perhaps unpack trauma or helping them, and this can be tough, but helping them see that maybe their upbringing or something in it wasn't as functional as they perceived. So, you know, gently unpacking that can be helpful. Um, And I think in terms of couples, it's, it's good to have you know, a fresh perspective or a third party to help them look at, or I guess fostering more compassion and understanding for each other's journeys, perspectives, upbringings, conditioning, programming, why they are the way they are, listening to understand rather than blame and shame and, you know. So I think that's where therapy has a space just to be that middle person because, you know, we can can easily turn into the blame game and, and get triggered and, I guess helping helping people dissolve those triggers and understand those triggers can be really therapeutic. Yeah, for sure. And do you think there are any other sort of emerging interventions other than therapy that can help with emotional blindness? Um, I think it's – there is actually a questionnaire, actually. Um, I think it's the Perth – Alexthemia questionnaire. I can I can send it to you guys to pop as a, a link to the podcast if you like. But that talks yeah. about I think it's like twenty four questions, and it can be handy just to look at the positive and negative emotions. Um, you know, you have to take every all these questionnaires with a grain of salt, but it can I guess help you to delve a bit deeper within yourself to start to ask those deeper questions. Um, and that can be helpful just to, you know, for more self-inquiry and, and, and understanding. And I think, you know, the techniques that we've talked about, the somatic therapy is mindfulness, meditation, feelings checks, you know, and even, I guess, um, if you're safe with your partner, starting to be, you know, trying to be more emotionally expressive, trying to invoke emotion, but you need to feel safe with that person if you're, you know, feeling all shut down and, and, you know, just trying to open up if you never have before can be challenging. So feeling safe, yeah. I think, is a big one if you're wanting to do that out of therapy. Yeah, for sure. And lastly, do you have any, like, general tips you can give people who want to overcome any suffering that they've gone through due to, like, emotional conflict in a relationship of any sorts? Emotional tips. I think it's really important to check in with your own emotions and, you know, acknowledge if there's any hurt there, if there's any anger or sadness or grief or frustration or resentment. You know, these are all very common if, if we've experienced, I guess, you know, emotional abuse and they're all warranted and we, we don't want to play the blame game, but we don't want to ever gaslight out our own emotions or dismiss how we feel. So it's important to make sure that you, you unpack those feelings, emotions in a safe way, you know, whether that's just through having a cry or, you know, punching your pillow, you know, something safe. But, you know, don't ever, don't ever um, let those emotions fester. So, you know, I always say to people that, you know, feeling your emotions and letting them flow through you is self-love. 
it's it's really it once you allow those emotions to flow through you things shift so never suppress how you feel everything is valid um and i think once we work through that stage and then we can start to look at okay what have, what have i learned from this experience you know what lessons can i take from that relationship um you know what would i what patterns would i maybe not repeat what red flags would i notice next time when would i know to pull back perhaps when i didn't you know should i have stopped rescu- rescuing or you know starting to really ask yourself what you can learn from that experience so that you can grow because there's always a positive to every negative if we choose to see it that way and we can always yeah. learn so you know just making sure that you do that self-reflection after perhaps a traumatic or abusive relationship and making sure that you're okay and you build yourself up again yeah for sure i really love that and i know you're also a big advocate for you know finding inner peace can that be applied here as well look definitely i think that you know we're all kind of wanting to find that inner peace and you know life throws yeah. us off sometimes or you know often because of you know things that come our way and but I feel that you know peace is there and I think that comes with you know as we spoke about initially building resilience and understanding that everything we go through is strengthening us strengthening and strengthening us on (laughs) on, on level you know whether it's building our mental capacity our emotional capacity our physical capacity our spiritual capacity so I think there's almost a piece in that that everything we go through is building us building on our capacity and I think there's there's a there's a really beautiful spiritual lesson in that for us yeah of course and I think everything we've just talked about is so important and we've just brought about so much awareness surrounding surrounding emotions because not a lot of people like to talk about their emotions they might find shame or guilt or embarrassment around it so I think it's important to create a safe space for that 100% yeah and I think um I actually think that, you know, emotional blindness, you know, there's levels to it. And I think as a society to a level, we we can tend to dis- disassociate a lot. There's so many distractions and, you know, we can chase dopamine and quick fixes and um, it's very easy to, rather than sit with ourselves, to pick up our phone or turn on the TV or... So it's, it's important for all of us, I think, to have a practice where we, you know, check in with ourselves, sit with ourselves have a cup of tea with ourselves just to have that time to self-reflect and and tune in. Yeah, for sure. I think that's so important. And thank you for adding that. It's been really great. Um, I think we should move into our practices um, debrief section now. So this is where we'll just ask you a bit more about what you do in your everyday life to apply this. So what is a practice that you do to deal with emotional blindness or anything related to that in your life? Yeah, sure. I think for me, I mean, all of the techniques we've talked about, I've trialed, of course. So I only try, I try to practice what I preach <laughs> um, yeah. as a therapist. Um, but I guess mindfulness, I think is so important. And, you know, I think that's, that's one that is a priority, being as mindful as we can. Meditation for me is number one. Um, it's a practice that I'm very dedicated to, have been since about, I don't know, 2015 or so. And that's changed as I've changed, but I feel that it's a really great practice to learn to sit in stillness and to develop that ability to just sit in those periods of discomfort when you don't want to, when you're frustrated, when you're angry, when you want to escape. And it's really interesting to observe how you feel. So I feel like meditation yeah. is such a great tool. It's yeah, so simple. for sure. And yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of people think of meditation, they're like, oh, sitting in one place trying to access my thoughts. That sounds a bit ridiculous. But totally. I think, yeah, giving it a try is always important. But then, you know, some people don't find that it is for them or anything like that. So and you've got to start options. where you're at. Exactly. If it's a moving yeah. meditation, if it's going for a walk and just being mindful, you know, or getting your yoga mat out or dance around the room with your favorite song and just, you know, connecting to yourself, like invoking yeah. or feeling your emotion and observing, you know, they're all meditative as long as it's, it's almost like picking a solo activity where it's just you and you and you can connect. Uh, there's so much magic in, in that. 
Yeah, for sure. I love that, that dancing around your room bit. I can relate to that. So <laughs> yeah, that's whatever you do to sort of connect to yourself, that's really great. Totally. Yeah. Amazing. And do you find that there are challenges to this? Obviously there are. Look, definitely. I think we all have days where we're frustrated, we have a low tolerance or we're agitated. And I find, you know, those days of meditation for me, I can I can listen to my inner self going, don't do that, do something else, don't meditate. And I really watch, you know, that inner dialogue. And I know that they're the days that I need it the most and they're the most rewarding eventually. So a lot of it, it's self-discipline as well, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And do you find that you set up certain times to do this? Yeah, I do actually. When I started, um, it was just, you know, usually in the morning, but I actually, um, I'm pretty, pretty disciplined. Um, I meditate depending on the time that I have, but usually um, dawn, midday and dusk and only for a short amount of time. Um, yeah. But it, it's it's pretty much a non-negotiable for me now, and this is this is just trans. It's transformed as I've transformed. Um, but I think when you meditate too, or any meditative practice, you start to go deeper and deeper within, and you become more sensitive to so many things in your reality, and it becomes almost um, a recharge and a reset and a regroup. And I guess the time that I mentioned, you know, those times have been known for centuries and centuries to be quite powerful energetically, yeah. astrologically. So, you know, there's a lot of deeper meanings to that too. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. And how would you say, like, these practices have helped build your um, resilience? I think it's it's really, you know, I used to be terrible at sitting still. You know, if I'd done this podcast with you, 15 years ago, I would not be talking about meditation and yoga and all these things, you know, and yeah. it's, um, I guess it, it's just that ability or that, that transformation that I know happens that enables you to slow down and to, to really understand what happens when you actually are able to cultivate stillness. And it can be really tricky at first. If you haven't, if your nervous system hasn't, you know, had that ability just to be still or feel safe. It can be really scary. It can be really, really mm. scary, you know. So it's the more you can, you're able to do that, um, the more magic, you know, that, that that comes from it. And it's just, it sounds silly if you haven't, you know, done these practices before. I remember thinking the same thing. <laughs> it's just, um, it's just starting slowly. And it, it's funny we complicate so much in life, but a lot of the things can be actually can be really simple. Often we need to strip things back rather than add things on, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And thank you so much for sharing, you know, the way you go through things as well. I know it's sometimes personal, but I think that's really important. So thank you for that. Welcome. Yeah, I used to, you know, be a bit funny about sharing personal experiences, but I think it's also important for people to hear that we all go through things and, um, you know, we all have a different way of healing and approaches as well. So you have to find what works, works best for you. Yeah, 100%. Um, and I think we can lead now into our questions from the audience, which are just going to sort of build upon what we've already talked about. So my first one here is, how can individuals distinguish between healthy emotional dynamics and patterns of emotional abuse in their relationships? I think if the patterns keep, they're in a loop, they keep continuing, then there's probably something unhealthy in there. I feel yeah. like it, it's so important to have that have that ability to self-reflect. And we need, you know, you need both parties, hopefully, to be on board with asking those deeper questions. You know, why do we keep arguing about the same thing? Or why is there constant conflict about this? Why do you always put me down? Why don't you listen to me, you know, in, in a more compassionate tone or an understanding tone? But, you yeah. know, we... You know, I always say to couples, there's nothing you can't talk about and there's nothing you can't resolve. So what is blocking you from having that conversation? Mm. Yeah, for sure. And do you think that some things can't be resolved necessarily if it's like a constant cycle? Look, I, I think some things aren't, I think some sometimes relationships aren't meant to work out long term. 
we're, we're on different, you know, we're not all on the same journey or sometimes we meet somebody who helps us unpack a certain level or and takes us deeper into our identity or shows us a new, um, something new in our life, helps us resolve a trauma and we go on our way. We're all on a different yeah. journey and I, I think attachment or detachment is really hard in relationships too, knowing when to let go can be really hard. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely a struggle, but awareness again is like really important. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also um, easier said than done, which is what sucks about (laughs) things like this. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's it's like we were saying before, like our awareness is constantly deepening. So it's not as if, you know, we can be as aware as we can in every moment, but there's so many things we can't see you know, until we see them. So, yeah. And that's what sucks about it as well, because you have to go through it in order to see that, I guess someone can tell you about it, but you'll be like, oh yeah, whatever. Won't happen to me. But then it happens and you're like, oh, maybe I should have listened. That's so true. That's so true. Yeah. But again, like you said, it's all a part of like our journey. So yeah good way to reinforce it um and my next question is are there any specific warning signs or red flags from a partner that individuals should be aware of when it comes to emotional abuse in relationships yeah that's an interesting one isn't it because you don't you don't want to go into a relationship you know looking for red flags or being overly cautious (laughs) in a certain way you know you've got to be you've got to you've got to be aware again but it's important to, I guess, um, I think moving slowly and and having like a slow and steady approach is really important. If things are hot and heavy too soon and sometimes there can be a little bit of danger in that, it's just taking the pace slowly because humans are very complicated. We have so many layers and levels that it takes a lot of time to get to know somebody. And let's face it, we try to put our best foot forward in relationships initially. You know, we want to be the perfect person and then then sometimes that illusion shatters but um you know we all have trauma we all have you know different beliefs and perceptions and sometimes we are able to accept those and sometimes we are not so it's really you know taking the time to get to know somebody and are they actively or are they wanting to work on themselves are they on that journey the same journey Um, I, i think that's the important one if you're you're wanting a relationship that's going to really, I guess, open you up to that spiritual, catapult, catapult your spiritual, emotional, mental growth. Is that person on that same journey? Do they want to deepen their awareness or are they just happy, you know, having a more surface level relationship? Do they want to unpack their trauma? Yeah, for sure. And I think being aware of where the other person is at can help you regulate where you're at as well yeah definitely yeah yeah that's amazing so I think that's all we've got for our questions from the audience but this leads into our next section which is the open mic um did you have anything that you wanted to share with us it could be anything you're passionate about or it could even be just what we've been talking about well, yeah, look, I think if you've experienced emotional blindness or emotional abuse, it, it can, you know, there's different levels. So just, you know, seek resources, seek help. Um, it's it's important that you, I guess, don't, you know, don't allow it to affect you emotionally for too long. Make sure that you do look after yourself and unpack your own emotions and know that everybody's on their own journey. You can't save or rescue. You you can, you know, try to show somebody their blind spots, but you can't lead them. What is it? Lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. So, yeah. you know, remembering that, um, you know, I guess, you know, in terms of emotional abuse or psychological abuse, they're all so intertwined as well. We talk about, yeah, emotional abuse, narcissistic abuse, psychological abuse, verbal abuse, Emotional blindness, they're all quite intertwined um, and they're all very related. So, and that's kind of a lot of the work I do. Um, and I think it, it's actually a lot, uh, it's a lot more rampant than we actually realise. So it's 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 very, very common and it's something that I think needs more attention. So 
Yeah, it's everywhere. And, and it really depends on our level of consciousness as well. A lot of it is just about levels of awareness and consciousness. And we often don't mean to hurt one another. It just it just happens because of our blind spots. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful way of putting it. And like people go into different relationships, whether that be friendships or romantic relationships, without awareness on everything. So like you learn from all of these experiences. So, yeah. 100%. And I think it's important to remember we're always going to be learning till the day we die, you know, and I think yeah. we want to be kind to ourselves. You know, you know, we can only be as aware as we can in every moment and that is going to keep shifting and shifting and shifting until the day we die. So we just need to, I guess, be at peace with that and that can be hard sometimes. Yeah. I think sometimes it is a bit hard to see things in retrospect like, this life isn't just this moment, that it's also the future and it's also the past and stuff. So, yeah. 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 You never know what, what chapter is going to open up for you next. It's it's quite interesting. Yeah. Very daunting as well, but interesting <laughs> nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, that also brings us to the end of today's episode, but thank you so much for cultivating a safe space where we can talk about topics like this. And I think it's really important because they're sensitive and they can be deep, but um, I think we gained some beautiful insights on how to cope as well. So thank you. Thank you so much, Joanna. It's been lovely to chat and um, yeah, I hope that helps a few people out there. And yeah, thanks so much. That's okay. I'm sure it will for sure. And for those of us who want to find out a bit more about you, where can we go? Uh, well, I've got a website there that you can look at. It's um, hollyj.com and also I take bookings at Counselling in Melbourne as well, face-to-face and online sessions. Uh, yeah, I've run some online programs as well, some group work around emotional abuse. So, yeah, that's where you Beautiful. can find me. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that. We've also got Jade's details in the description below. Um, Holly Jade, I apologise. That's okay. <laughs> We've also got Holly's details Been in the description day. below. No, it has for sure. Um, <laughs> but yeah, thank you again. And to everyone listening, please don't forget to like and subscribe on whatever platform you're on. And we will see you next time. You've been listening to Bouncing Back, the personal resilience science insights podcast.